from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, Pardes alum. This week, Vaera. This week, Nahama Goldman Barash discusses Vaera. Nahama Goldman Barash is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Nahama Goldman Barash. There are many incredible stories in the Parsha, from the visitation of the angels promising Abraham a child, to the incredulous disbelief of Sarah, to the destruction of Stom and Amorah, and the birth of Isaac, and the sending away of Yishmael. But it is the Akedah that looms large at the end of the Parsha, an unthinkable test in which God tests Abraham's faith and asks him to sacrifice his only son. In this week's podcast, we are going to look at the Akedah from a different perspective. Instead of perceiving it as the ultimate sign of devotion, I want to question whether it was a successful end to the task set out by God, and whether Abraham actually passed the test. A careful reading of the text illuminates various hints at an irreparable rupture with Isaac, Sarah, and God. While Abraham proves unwavering devotion, it is unclear whether such devotion was in fact the purpose of the text. Chapter 2 opens with the following verses. Sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test. He said to him, Abraham, and he answered, Hineni, here I am. And he said, Take your son, your favored one, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the heights that I will point out to you. So early next morning, Abraham saddled his donkey and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. He split the wood for the burnt offering, and he set out for the place of which God had told him. End of text. In the course of the narrative, we are told twice that Abraham and Isaac continue on together. This is traditionally understood to mean that at some point, Isaac understands the purpose of the journey and nonetheless continues forward with his father. This is underscored by the moment in the text where Isaac asks his father what is to be sacrificed. Quote, Then Isaac said to his father, Abraham, father. And he answered, Yes, my son. And he said, Here are the firestone and the wood. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will see to the sheep for his burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. The classical biblical interpreter Rashi suggests that the word following burnt offering, my son, is to be read without the comma. In other words, as follows, God will see to the sheep for his burnt offering, my son, so that Isaac understands that he is to be the burnt offering. And nonetheless, the two walk on together. It certainly seems plausible, given the length of the three-day journey, that Isaac at some point recognizes what is about to unfold. Furthermore, it would be impossible for Abraham to slaughter his son without some sort of cooperation on the part of Isaac, who is called a na'ar, a boy on the cusp of manhood. The Midrash actually dates him to 39 years of age in order to work out all of the different timelines that have yet to unfold regarding his marriage at 40, which textually takes place soon after the Akedah. This would mean he was fully a man. Either way, he would have to cooperate in order to allow Abraham to follow through on God's test. And the verse reinforces this reading, opening text. They arrived at the place of which God had told him, had told him, Abraham built an altar there. He laid out the wood. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to slay his son. End of text. Abraham binds his son to the altar and prepares to slaughter him, but at the last moment his hand is stayed by the call of the angel, who calls to him twice. Opening text. Then an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, and he answered, Here I am. 
And he said, Do not raise your hand against the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your favored one, from me. End of text. Abraham stops what he is doing, looked around, and sees a ram which he offers in its place. The angel then reassures Abraham that he has passed the test. Opening of another verse. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I swear the Lord declares, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your favored one, I will bestow my blessing upon you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sands on the seashore, and your descendants shall seize the gates of their foes. All the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your descendants, because you have obeyed my command. End of quote. On the face of it, it would appear that Abraham has indeed passed the test. However, cracks appear under the surface of the story, which we will begin to address. A major crack is that God and Abraham have no further dialogue, even in the immediate aftermath of the Akedah. In the opening of the chapter, God as Elohim appears to Abraham directly in order to test him. It is he who issues the command. It is thus surprising that Elohim does not come to stay Abraham's hand, but rather sends an angel, an emissary of Elohim, to stop the act and promise blessing in return for his faith. This seems like a major downgrade for a man who has had direct conversations with God throughout his life from Lech Lecha onward. In fact, one of the most intimate vignettes is described at the beginning of the Parsha, chapter 18, when God appears before Abraham after the latter has undergone circumcision in the previous chapter, seemingly for no particular reason. The two are interrupted by the three men coming to herald the birth of Isaac. When they depart, God and Abraham resume their conversation in verse 22, this time about the imminent destruction of Stom and Amorah by the hand of the Lord. Abraham argues in favor of sparing Sodom, but in the end recognizes that God's justice must prevail. In a later scene in the Parsha, Abraham shows displeasure when Sarah insists that he send his son Ishmael away. God, perceiving Abraham's displeasure, speaks to him directly, reassuring him that all will be well with Ishmael, and he too will be blessed. God also appears to Avimelech in a dream, warning him against engaging in relations with Sarah, whom he has taken into his harem. Thus, in the aftermath of the Akedah, when God never appears to Abraham again, at least not according to the text, it is somewhat jarring. God doesn't come directly to stop the Akedah himself? One could understand this to mean that Abraham has passed the test and is now free to live his life in peace and harmony. Or alternatively, while Abraham did pass the test presented by God, it was not optimally what God was hoping for, and it fundamentally changes their relationship. Abraham's silence, for instance, in accepting the task without argument, is jarring, giving his behavior with Stom and Yishmael. Was he meant to show such passive, unquestioning devotion? Or should he have fought with God to overturn a request that went against everything Abraham believed God represented? There are no more tests by God, at least textually, but there are also no more casual visits from God to Abraham's tent in the heat of the day. Modern scholarship has chosen to look at the sending away of Yishmael as an early precursor to the Akedah. The sending away of Yishmael appears in chapter 20, shortly before the Akedah. For both stories, the central issue, as biblical scholar John Levinson puts it, is whether the firstborn son of Abraham will survive the ordeal into which he has been placed by a father preeminently obedient to God's command. Further comparison to the Ishmael story highlights a major difference that also serves as a possible critique of Abraham. The two stories are strikingly parallel. 
In both, God tells Abraham that he needs to get rid of his son. Banish in the case of Yishmael, kill in the case of Isaac. I have to apologize. It's chapter 21 that serves as the reference of the story with Yishmael. Chapter 22 is the Akedah. Abraham wakes up early in the morning, in both stories, and takes his supplies. The end draws near. Yishmael, about to die of thirst, is left under a bush by his mother. Isaac is about to be slaughtered by his father. At the last minute, an angel appears in both stories to offer a reprieve. The appearance of the angel is followed by blessings for the future. The salvation is tied to the parent seeing something new a well of water in the case of Hagar, and a ram in the case of Abraham. Each story ends with notices related to the children's marriage. In Yishmael's story, Hagar finds Yishmael a wife from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, which is where she is from. At the end of the Akedah, we are told of the birth of Rebekah. We don't yet know that Rebekah is going to become Yitzchak or Isaac's wife, but when we continue reading into the next Parsha, we understand that's the reason for the birth notice that appears at the end of our Parsha. One major difference between the two stories is that Hagar lifts up her voice and cries out when she sees the imminent death of her child. Abraham, who argued in favor of Stom and showed displeasure in the case of the sending away of Yeshua, remains startlingly silent. To quote Bible scholar Aaron Kohler, Taken together with the previous observation, this suggests that Abraham was pious, but not perfect, in the Akedah. In a piyut, a liturgical poem by Rabbi Lazar Rav Kalir, ben Rabbi Clear, he lived in 500 CE, Byzantine Eretz Yisrael, the lack of compassion showed by Avraham is stated directly. Built around the idea that God had to wait until Moses to give the Torah, the author Kalir traces generation by generation the flaws that cause God to wait. First, he brings all of the reasons, when he looks at Abraham, to think that Abraham may indeed be deserving. I'm now quoting this very beautiful piyut. Turning to the end of 20, he saw, 20 generations, Indeed, to circumcise him, I rejoice and exulted. He burned to idols, and I gazed upon him. He abandoned his family to enter my hold, fold. But the Torah referred to here as Ammon, the faithful one, replies, The young man with whom you graced him when his strength was spent, he bound on the wood of the altar. Arrested for three days, he offered his shchek. It was pleasant, and his offering was accepted. He became great, and his reputation spread throughout the land. But he forgot how a father is supposed to have mercy on children. A prayer or plea he should have offered. In this piyut, the Torah rejects Avraham as the recipient of the Torah uh, because of his inability to show true compassion for his child. Zar actually uses the phrase, Inyan karachev albanim um this idea, but he forgot how a father is supposed to have mercy on children, intertwining a verse from Tehilim, karachem av albanim ken yirachem Hashem al yireav. As a father has mercy on children, so does the Lord have mercy on those who fear him. He intertwines this verse into his piyut as the backdrop to his critique, that Rachem Aval Banim is a fundamental quality and characteristic of God towards his creations. And so Avram has essentially overridden that quality or ignored that quality of God in submitting to the test that God has demanded of him. 
Quirrell is not alone in his questioning this narrative. A poem was found in the Cairo Geniza from the Byzantine period, a little, you know, after Kirill, condemning the cruelty of Avraham. And in the 1500s, a Yiddish epic poem turned his attention to the Akedah in the poem Yiddisher Shtam. The text is unflinching in its depiction of the pain and pathos of Avram and Isaac, focusing on the pain the sacrifice would cause Sarah and expressing cynicism about the perceived value of the Akedah to God. These voices stand out in stark contrast to traditional readings that uphold Avram's willingness to sacrifice his son as the ultimate sign of religious devotion to a righteous God of truth. Historically, we invoke the Akedah in prayers at times when we are beseeching God for mercy, like on Rosh Hashanah. It's also actually mentioned in our prayers in the morning uh, every day in the section called Karbanot, Sacrifices. But ironically, of course, Abraham did not have mercy on his son. In the modern world, both art and literature have taken to reassessing the Akedah in light of wars that have ravaged the world in the name of ideologies, leading to the unmitigated slaughter of young men and women. In Israel, this is powerfully expressed in the art of artists like Mordechai Ardan, Kaddishman, and Abel Penn. The British poet of World War I, Wilfred Owen, who died on the front in 1918, published The Parable of the Old Man and the Young in the year of his death. He saw the Akedah as a stand-in for some of the evils of the world, where older men send the younger generation to fight and die for a cause that is dear to those who will return to their homes safe and sound at the end of the conflict. The poem goes as follows. So Abram rose and claved the wood and went, and took the fire with him and a knife, And as they sojourned, both of them together, Isaac, the firstborn, spoke and said, My father, behold the preparations, fire and iron, but where is the lamb for this burnt offering? Then Abraham bound the youth with belts and straps and builded parapets and trenches there and stretched forth the knife to slay his son. When lo, an angel called out of heaven, saying, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. Behold, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Offer the ram of pride instead of him. But the old man would not so, but slew his son and half the seed of Europe, one by one. Other cracks appear upon closely reading the story. Isaac is not mentioned in the second half of the narrative at all. The screen goes literally blank. The text, which gave us so much detail regarding the preparation for the Akedah, tells us nothing about Isaac climbing down from the altar or participating in the sacrifice of the ram, or even bringing his own sacrifice in gratitude for the life returned to him. Avram and Yitzchak do not engage in dialogue again. In fact, Avram returns to the Na'arim, the lads that he left waiting with the donkeys, alone. Isaac is nowhere to be seen. We hear nothing of him for several chapters, until... He is returning from the vicinity of Be'er Lachai Roi and is seen by Rebekah walking in the field at dusk, suggesting some sort of meditative or spiritual experience. Be'er Lachai Roi is not a random place. It is the spot where Hagar, the maidservant of Sarah and the concubine of Avraham, had a visitation from an angel promising her the birth of Yishmael after she has unhappily run away from the home of her mistress. This to me is always poignant. Isaac ends up in the desert closest to Ishmael, his brother who was sent away. While we have no further textual interaction between the two, it's interesting that Yitzchak and Yishmael, half-brothers who were forcibly separated, come together to bury their father, hinting at an ongoing connection between them, despite the forced enforced distance. 
Perhaps the reconnection took place while Isaac was in the area of Be'er L'chai Roi in the period of time after the Akedah. In the aftermath of the Akedah as well, Sarah dies in Kiryat Arba, while Avram is in Be'er Sheva, and Isaac is notably absent, both during his mother's death and burial and his father's mission to find him a wife. As we just noted, he is geographically distant. The family so united in joy and laughter after his birth has fallen apart, scattered, separate, each person alone. Isaac only finds comfort when he brings Rebecca into his mother's tent, beginning a new chapter towards the creation of his own family. Sadly, his own family will also fall into rupture and disrepair. The Akedah remains an enigma for us to read and reread, interpret and reinterpret, open to many angles and lenses and languages of reinterpretation, tantalizingly opaque and yet heartbreakingly believable. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Nechama. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Thank you.